0: Do you flip through music podcasts like you would the dollar bins of your local record shop? Hoping to stumble upon that rare pressing or super under-the-radar classic? Well, dig no further. Vinyl Emergency is where musicians, everyday album collectors, and those who design, release, or otherwise celebrate vinyl records come to share their stories about how this influential medium has shaped their lives and careers. I'm your host, Jim Hankey, and you can join me and a new guest every other Tuesday as we take you through LP artwork that has stood the test of time, our favorite neighborhood record stores, the first albums we ever bought. The tangible object of a vinyl record can spark so many intangible memories, and that's what Vinyl Emergency aims to capture and share with you. Past episodes have featured interviews with Roseanne Cash, Hosier, Creed Bratton from NBC's The Office, members of Foo Fighters, Wilco, Tom Petting the Heartbreakers, and Run DMC. Not to mention label owners, record pressers, and more within today's exploding vinyl community. You don't need to be a longtime record collector to enjoy or keep up with our conversations, but I guarantee you'll learn something new whenever you listen. Subscribe to Vinyl Emergency however you get podcasts, and follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at
1: Vinyl Emergency. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album but I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Bad Religion, Christmas Songs from 2013. That's Fuck Christmas, a 1982 single by the Los Angeles punk band Fear. The single was recorded during the sessions for their debut album, The Record, but was released after the album several months later. Fear had already received a lot of attention for years by the time their debut album was released in May of 1982. In 1981, the band had appeared in the Penelope Spheeris documentary about the LA punk scene, The Decline of Western Civilization. The movie shows the band playing a set where they repeatedly attack the audience with homophobic and sexist slurs, eventually leading to some people in the crowd trying to come on stage to fight them.
2: There you
1: go. Eat it, eat it, fuckface.
2: He's a bunch of fucking jerk-offs, do you know that?
1: This led to the band getting noticed by John Belushi, who was then able to get the band booked to perform on a 1981 episode of Saturday Night Live. For their performance the band invited several members of other punk bands, including minor threats Ian Mackay, plus John Belushi, to join them for the performance. It was chaos that reportedly cost $20,000 worth of damage. And before all of that, in their first exposure outside of clubs, Fear had been interviewed and played live on the Los Angeles radio station K-Rock back in 1978.
3: It's, a uh three minutes in front of six o'clock from the rock KROQ live radio taking place right here on the station having a lot of fun and the band is fear they're live on the air we had somebody on the phone that had a question all right all right here we go you're on the air yes
2: does punk rock have any significance other than their music no definitely yeah yeah man we hate the middle class, the middle class that's right that's the enemy all right, right if on. we can get rid of any part of it or all of it we've had our, our made our point
1: in the mid-1970s, K-Rock had become synonymous with the emergence of the L.A. punk scene. In particular, with DJ Rodney Bingenheimer's show Rodney on the Rock, which began in 1976. Bingenheimer was the first American DJ to play emerging acts like the Buzzcocks, the Germs, the Sex Pistols, and the Ramones, who he even had on his very first show.
2: Merry Christmas, I don't want a bad
1: K-Rock was earning a reputation with record labels and bands. If your record got played on K-Rock, it meant you'd made it. And when the 1980s hit, K-Rock's success grew even more. The station started mixing punk with new wave, ska, and mainstream rock. By 1989, it had become successful enough that K-Rock held its first festival, the K-Rock Christmas Bash. It was a big success, and the following year, the festival became much bigger with bigger bands and the Christmas Bash turned into an annual event, K-Rock's Acoustic Christmas. By 1993, the festival had become so successful that it turned into a two-day event. Day one of that year oddly included Tony Bennett, whose set was called the Best of the Night by the LA Times. Steve Hochman, who reviewed the show for the LA Times, also said the other standout set of the night belonged to LA punk band Bad Religion. Their single, American Jesus, had recently had some success on K-Rock. I got to speak with Epitaph Records owner and Bad Religion guitarist Brett Gurowitz about their involvement at K-Rock's Acoustic Christmas.
3: Prior to that year, and including that year, it was always called K-Rock's Acoustic Christmas. And we said we'd play it, but we, we weren't comfortable playing acoustically. So they allowed us to play electrically or electric uh and <laughs> I think that year we were the only band to play electric, so it was it was pretty cool of them to let us and it made us stand out and so from then on, you know they let bands play acoustic or electric, and they they changed the name actually to k rock's almost acoustic Christmas so we were the uh cause of that
1: so a punk band called Bad Religion. Whose logo is a cross with a red slash through it, also known as the Crossbuster, was playing a Christmas show. So, it might not surprise you to learn that their set included a cover of Fears Fuck Christmas. And here's a sample from a bootleg of that. But so
2: crazy.
1: But that wasn't their only Christmas song of the night. Their six-song set was half-Christmas songs, also playing a cover of Silent Night and Do They Know It's Christmas. Bad Religion would be invited back the following year, now officially dubbed K-Rock's Almost Acoustic Christmas. They once again covered Fuck Christmas, and this time added The First Noel and Joy to the World to their set. In 1994, Bad Religion had already been a band for 14 years and had released eight albums. They'd formed when they were in high school. Gurowitz had started Epitaph Records in 1981 as a way for the band to release music. They released their first seven albums on Epitaph before signing with Atlantic Records in 1993, who then re-released their seventh album, Recipe for Hate. Like all bands, they've had their share of ups and downs. When they released their eighth album, Stranger Than Fiction... Gurewitz left the band to spend more time with Epitaph. The label had just experienced massive success with the release of the Offsprings album, Smash, which would peak at number four and end up selling 11 million copies worldwide. Bad Religion spent the next eight years touring and recording without Gurewitz, and released four albums on Atlantic Records. In 2001, Gurowitz would return to the band, and the band returned to Epitaph. They would also return to K-Rock's Almost Acoustic Christmas that year, this time opening with Frosty the Snowman. Over the next eight years, the band would release four more albums for Epitaph. In 2013, they released their 16th album, True North. It was their first album since 2010, and it wouldn't be the only album they released in 2013. Here's more from Gurowitz.
3: You know, we ended up playing a lot of K-Rock acoustic Christmases over the years because um, we're sort of a staple of the LA scene and K-Rock has always supported us, so over the years we always had to play something different for K-Rock and we always added a Christmas song into our set for them. And, you know, little recordings of those that went out over the air, you know, became quite popular on YouTube. And, uh, we got a lot of positive feedback from fans and said so they loved our Christmas song. So not sure exactly how it happened, but you know, there was a, there was a period there where we hadn't had a studio album for a while. And, uh, one of us had the idea, I think it was probably me, uh, to do a christmas album
1: so on october 29th 2013 bad religion released christmas songs on epitaph records
3: ho, ho, ho. No! it was decided yeah let's do a christmas record but you know what's expected of a punk band is if you do a christmas record it's expected of you to sort of take the piss out of christmas and or do the only the funniest or most rockin' Christmas songs or whatever you know? We realize that you know the melodies of the traditional Christmas songs come from English folk music and American folk music. There's some classical melodies in there too, but all of those sorts of melodies and and the modalities really lend themselves to Greg's voice and to Bad Religion style because Bad Religion is very melodic anyway and sort of mournful, so. It was decided that we wouldn't do any of the funny or commercial Christmas songs. Whatever happened, we were going to take songs and sort of flip them on their side by playing them in our style, which is sort of melodic punk or melodic hardcore.
1: band's singer, Greg Graffin, was a choir boy back in his school days, so he had prior experience singing these songs. In 2013, he told The Village Voice, quote, I remember fun singing events. It wasn't about a religious feeling or celebrating a sacred time. It was just really fun performing these songs. On December 18th, 2013, the band appeared on Conan to promote the album, playing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Tonight, they're here with a song from their brand new album, Christmas Songs. Please give a big welcome to Bad Religion!
3: of one one pop song on the record one pop hit on the record which was White Christmas of course in Crosby hit and we did that more in the style of the Ramones you know
1: Some quick trivia about White Christmas. The song was written by Irving Berlin, and the first public performance of White Christmas was on Christmas Day in 1941, sung by Bing Crosby on his radio show, The Craft Music Hall. Crosby recorded the song in 1942, but eventually the master tape would be damaged due to frequent use. So Crosby re-recorded the song in 1947, and it is the biggest-selling single worldwide of all time.
2: Come, they told me, pa pum pum A newborn king to see, pa pum pum
1: This was the first Bad Religion album to not include guitarist Greg Hetson, since he joined the band right before releasing their Back to the Known EP in 1985. Also, this would be the last Bad Religion album with drummer Brooks Wackerman, though that wasn't known at the time. He would leave the band in 2015, eventually joining Avenged Sevenfold. Wackerman was Bad Religion's longest-serving drummer, having been in the band for 14 years. He's a longtime drummer for hire who, in addition to Bad Religion, has recorded or toured with Avril Lavigne, Korn, Suicidal Tendencies, and Tenacious Thief.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Gurowitz and Graffin are both credited producers on the album, as well as Joe Barisi. Who had worked with the band on multiple albums, starting with 2007's New Maps of Hell. Since Christmas Songs was released the same year as True North, I asked Gurrowitz if both were recorded at the same sessions.
3: No, we didn't record them at the same time. In fact, we did it. It was an interesting way of doing it. It was mostly me and Greg. So um, what happened was, you know, because Greg grew up singing all those songs. So, and Greg has a home studio too. Because you know, when we make Bad Religion records, he demos his songs. I demo my songs. So the way we worked on that one was Greg demoed out the songs, as you know, he chose the tempo, the key, laid them down at his home studio, and did like a you know basically a a little map of how they could work as a Bad Religion song. Then he sent me the sessions. Then I took the sessions and I did some arranging. And then it took those Pro Tools sessions of the demos. And we went into Joe Barisi's studio here in Pasadena. And then Greg had a vocal on them already from his that he did at his place, right? So that was sort of a guide. And then I went in and I had Brooks come in with me and Joe. And I laid down a guitar to Greg's demo. And then Brooks played the drums to that. Then Brian and Jay came in for a few days and did their parts. I wonder, I I can't remember. And then I think when, when we had all the basics done, I think Greg came out and did more vocals. So we, But we did use a lot of the backgrounds from his demo session. And then we did a bunch more singing with me and him and Jay on the backgrounds at Joe's. So it was a, one of those interesting sessions where the, we never had the whole band in the studio at the same time.
2: God, rest in merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior.
1: The album's cover features a 1946 photo by Gerald Waller titled New Shoes. The photo is of a six-year-old Austrian orphan boy who received new shoes from the American Red Cross. The young boy is smiling and hugging his new shoes. And the band also tried to help those in need. They donated 20% of the album's proceeds to Snap, the survivor's network of those abused by priests. All of this was promoted with a Bad Religion Advent calendar on the band's website, with each day revealing music, merchandise discounts, and more.
2: you know, can
3: I just say something, why we named it Christmas songs? Because I think this BS about the liberal war on Christmas is such a load of crap. We're bad religion, and we say Christmas. You know, my friends say, Happy Christmas in England, and they say, Merry Christmas in L.A. And almost none of them believe in Jesus in the slightest. But no no one has a problem with the word Christmas. You know, it's just the whole thing is made up, you know, like to – to to make Republicans angry at Democrats. So that's why I wanted to call it Bad Religion Christmas Song. And it, it, you know, the funny thing is, like, people who are non-religious are not threatened by religion. You know, but it's just religious people are threatened by people who don't believe.
1: The album also features a version of What Child Is This? plus an Andy Wallace mix of their 1993 hit American Jesus, which had previously only been available on a 1993 American Jesus promo CD. Epitaph Records released multiple editions of the vinyl. Each version is one-sided. The album clocks in at just over 19 minutes long, so the other side of the vinyl is etched. There was a standard black version, as well as red vinyl and green vinyl. In 2019, they reissued it on limited edition gold vinyl, and new for 2020, a reissue on clear with red. Back in 2013... The album peaked at number 101 on the Billboard 200, and it hit number 7 on the Billboard Top Holiday Albums chart. Though Bad Religion releasing a Christmas album seemed bizarre to many, it wasn't the first time they surprised their fans. Back in 1983, Bad Religion released what they themselves have described as a terrible misstep. For their second album, they abandoned their punk rock sound for a more avant-garde and keyboard-heavy prog rock sound. The album was called Into the Unknown, but that is for another time. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at BizarreAlbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. If you want more Bizarre Albums, now's a great time to sign up for Patreon. You can now get annual memberships for a discounted price. Sign up for a whole year and get 12 months for the price of 10. So go to patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums for bonus episodes and more.